Welcome to the Dr. Dapp Show. Today, I have a dynamic and special guest with me, Miss Chrissy Outlaw. Chrissy is a former porn actress turned child of God, an advocate for women. And today, we're going to talk about her journey through life, her experience in the industry, and her transformation that led her to the beautiful life that she has today. So welcome, Chrissy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Your story is so inspirational because we hear about people who are in the adult entertainment industry, but usually we don't see someone who's able to leave and come back and share the things that they've experienced. Mm -hmm. So it's such a beautiful thing that you are brave enough and willing to help other women who have gone through this to heal and to change their lives. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) So Chrissy, I want to talk about why you entered such an industry that most people find very alarming when we're talking about the actual actors and actresses. People consume porn Mm -hmm. all the time, Mm -hmm. but we sometimes don't realize that these are real people living real lives. Mm -hmm. They're not cartoon characters, right? And so if you can, where did all of this begin? Because you don't just enter into such an industry without having a foundation that maybe could have led you in that direction. Right. Yeah. It began, well, if I go back to my childhood, I remember um, when I was four years old being touched by an adult man. And um, my dad was, he always raised, he was, even at a young age, he was like, you should be a virgin until (laughs) until you get married. And he, he like instilled that in me. So when that happened, I didn't tell anyone. And then as I got a little bit older, it happened more and it happened with other other children. Um, I don't know how they knew what they were doing, but I don't know. So when you were four years old, you experienced being molested. Mm-hmm. Was this by a family member or a friend or how? No, it was a neighbor right across okay. the street. Um, we were over, I was over there with my brother my little brother and we were playing in the pool and that's when it happened. And then he was carrying me around and then he took me inside and then he took me back out and I was just like frozen. I didn't know how to, how to react. Wow. And I you can actually remember. Yeah. I can remember it so clearly. Like I, I can remember what he looks like. I can remember the house. Actually, I went back um, where I u- used to live in Jacksonville, Florida mm-hmm. and um, went to, by the old house that we lived in and the house that they lived in looked exactly like my memory. Wow. At four years old, that is awful. Mm -hmm. That is so awful. And during that time, because your father had told you this, Mm -hmm. even as a baby, a four-year-old, you're a baby, you were able to internalize that and feel like, okay, I have to be pure, even though something has happened to me. Yeah. And you weren't able to tell him? Yeah. Well, my dad also said he'll kill anybody who touches me. So as a child, I thought that was real. Mm -hmm. I thought he really would do that. So, I mean, I didn't want anybody to be killed. So I just kept it inside. 
Yeah, well, when you're a child and you hear your parents talk like that, like as a parent, you think that you are protecting them by saying something like that so that they know how much you love them and what you'll fight for them for and that kind of thing. But as a child hearing that, that's scary. You don't want someone to get killed. I think like it's kind of confusing. My dad was, he he taught the Bible to us, but he was also an alcoholic. So he would go to bars and get beat up for um, preaching in the bars and stuff. So the, his it, he was very extreme. So mm-hmm. when he said he was going to kill somebody, mm-hmm. I kind of believed it. Yes. So was your father who introduced you to the Bible? Mm-hmm. I yeah. see. But then you saw his behavior mm-hmm. and you thought, okay, this is this is not really adding up. Yeah. Especially when I got a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Then I started seeing like the way he was living was so, like drinking all the time and um, not coming home sometimes and mm-hmm. just passing out wherever, especially when I was a teenager, it happened a lot. I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, when you said that the abuse happened when you were four and then it kind of kept happening mm-hmm. as a child, I think about my work as a psychologist and working with high school students for so many years. Something that I noticed is a huge pattern was so many women and boys, okay, boys and girls Mm -hmm. had been molested. And when I was working, because I had on that hat and I was just like trying to solve problems and help them heal, it wasn't occurring to me that this was happening more frequently than it seems like Mm -hmm. in the public eye. You don't hear about people being honest about this kind of thing, but it's happening at an alarming rate. That so many women at some point in their lives have experienced sexual abuse, molestation, rape, and things of that nature. And it's awful. And I wonder sometimes, you know, as parents, how can a parent, how could your parents have protected you in that way in terms of going to a neighbor's house? Like they probably thought it was okay because you're with your brother and that kind of thing. So I think sometimes it's even hard for parents to know, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I was home for Christmas um, a couple years ago and my mom said she had a bad feeling about that man. Mm. So she kind of had that feeling because he would flirt with her and stuff. So I don't know why she still let me go over there. I think it could have been a better situation if my parents would have said, you know, if anybody touches you, it's not your fault. Like you can come to us and tell us and, you know, it's just, it's safe to to do that because I didn't feel safe to tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody till I was in my twenties. Wow. Yeah. This actually reminds me of even a situation with me in my life and experiencing very inappropriate interactions, sexual interactions with family members that were even close in age where it's like mm-hmm. we're playing house. Yeah. And I did not know what was happening. I didn't understand it. I knew that it wasn't right and it affected me, but I didn't really realize because I couldn't quite pinpoint what was this exactly? Was it yeah. molestation? Was it experimenting? What what was it? I just know I was very young and the person was older and it wasn't okay. 
But like you said, I didn't have the words, the courage to be able to share any of that stuff, but it happened so much. Yeah, the same thing happened to me with other children all the way through like high school. Mm. Happened so often. And a lot of it happened when I was younger, you know, with other people I'm like playing house or or whatever. Right. And um, it took me back to how it was the first time when somebody touched me, I just froze. And I, I, I guess I just let them touch me um, because I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I was so, I was so young um, when most of it happened. Mm-hmm. But even until high school and middle school. It was happening over and over again a, with a different lot, people. A lot, yeah. And it's almost like, is there something about me that's, attracting people to do this to me. Like there's conversations that come up in your mind, right? It was really, really strange wondering why, why is this happening to me? How do I, what am I supposed to do? How do I react? And I've always been shy. So Mm. I kind of like internalized it Mm -hmm. and just froze. Just, I would pretend I was asleep. If it was like a situation where I was pretending I was asleep, I would stay asleep and I would just, just freeze. Did you ever at any point feel like it was your fault or that you had any? Yeah, I thought there was something that about me that was attracting this. Okay. And I, I didn't know what. I mean, I didn't know what it was to, you know, have mm-hmm. sex and be sexy and all that kind of stuff. So as a child, you have no idea right. what's going on. So it is important for those of you who are listening because I worked in the field and I know how much this happens and how many people don't say anything about this, whether it's their own parent, their own sibling, a family member, someone of the same sex as you are. It doesn't matter. You know, it's inappropriate for anyone to touch you at any point in your life without your permission. And there are people who are willing to listen, like counselors and psychologists at schools. Mm -hmm. And Your parents, it's important to share it with your parents because in your case, your mom had a feeling and I believe that God always lets parents know, gives them that feeling, that inkling, something is off, something is wrong, but they don't follow it for whatever reason. It's unfortunate, but they are the ones that are here to protect you. Right. I want to know in your life, Christy, you went from all of this like childhood trauma that you were experiencing over and over again. But then at some point you mentioned feeling sexy or being sexy. Was there any point in your life that you started taking on some of these experiences and feeling more like empowered by them? Well, it started off not being empowered. When I was um, 18, my parents said, my mom and my step father, my, they had, my parents had split up, but they said, I need to move out at 18 after high school. So mm-hmm. um, I was like, didn't know where I was going to move. So I moved in with some roommates. Um, that didn't work out. And then I moved in with my boyfriend. I was 18. He was 17. Okay. And um, he had his own place. Yeah. Well, we both did together. Okay. He, he didn't have it already. We kind of Oh, you came together yeah. at a place. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you move in with your boyfriend at 18 and you're like in love. Mm-hmm. And how does that progress into your adulthood? Well, we we had a very short relationship. Um, and one of the things that shortened our relationship was the fact that 
I found out he had Playboy TV subscription on our television. Okay. And when I saw that, it bothered me. I thought that it was wrong. But I also was like, these women are so beautiful. And, you know, during that time in my life, in my early, you know, 18, 19, 20, you always, um, I did get a job at Hooters at one point to see if I was beautiful enough. But it would always be on the radio, like, hey, we have the Hooters girls in the studio. Yay, you know. Mm -hmm. And so there was so much, so many things that kind of made me believe that being sexy was important. And um, getting a job at Hooters was part of it. I didn't work there very long because I wasn't a good waitress. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I only got the job just to see if they would hire me. I just walked up and said, are you hiring? out of the blue and they said, yeah. And then they wanted to interview me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like the sexy girl. I wore glasses. I worked in the office. You know, I, d- I dressed really like, you know, businessy, but not sexy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they said yes. And I thought that was a big deal for me. The subscription kind of upset me. Um, and instead of like f- really fighting about it, I just kind of took it as information like, He's not all that into me. And then, you know, we broke up. And then I had a series of relationships, um, a lot of relationships, because I moved in from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend um, Mm -hmm. because I knew I didn't really have a place to live. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, there was one time I worked three three different jobs just to pay rent. I just realized in all these relationships, they were bringing porn into the house. And I would throw, sometimes throw it away and it would come back. The same exact video would come back into the house. Mm-hmm. So I hated porn and I hated what it, what it was, how it made me feel. It made me feel unattractive, not sexy enough, not good enough. Well, you know, that reminds me of what a lot of us experience now with Instagram. I hear so many women who, yes, it's not porn, right? But there are so many women Mm -hmm. who are showing so much of their body, who are doing videos that are explicit and their boyfriends or husbands are scrolling all day, liking pictures, hiding in the bathroom, watching videos and following women. And a lot of times women will say like, why are you following all of these women? And they start to feel insecure. Like you want women who look like this, had all this surgery or whatever the case might be. And they start comparing themselves. And then like you're saying, you didn't like it, but yet you also wanted to feel like you were just as pretty as they were. Right. And so a lot of times women will start making changes to their body. I don't know how many women I've met who've wanted lots of different surgical procedures Mm -hmm. because of their boyfriend's behaviors. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a very unfortunate, but very real situation that's still happening right now may not be porn, but it's still, you know, media. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram is, is, I don't scroll through Instagram basically Mm -hmm. um, because I realized how it made me feel. It made me feel like, wow, she's got this great life. And, you know, a lot of times these ladies, um, they have sugar daddies and and people who are exploiting them by taking them on the trips and, and paying for everything and you know, helping them become Instagram model and everything. And I'm glad I didn't have that mm-hmm. back whenever I, you know, was going through my, trying to figure out who I was. Right. It would be even worse. <laughs> <laughs>
So you went from hating porn and being just so disgusted with it to becoming a porn actress. Can you just tell us how that started and how that happened? Well, you know, going from relationship to relationship, there was times in between where I didn't really have a boyfriend. So I went, um, actually, this is when the internet started. Okay. <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> it had just started. Mm-hmm. And um, I was I was kind of like in between living with a boyfriend and I moved back home for, for a couple of months until I found another boyfriend. But I was dating online and I was meeting men, um, sometimes traveling, you know, from, to New York or driving three or four hours to meet men. And um, I had been raped by men. I had been, show, I showed up to New York and, and the guy didn't look the same. He was, a, it, he was like much younger in his photo. Mm-hmm. I felt obligated to be with him because he paid my way. And for some reason, I had this thing where I always felt obligated. Like if they do that for me, then I should at least do this, you know? So it was a really weird situation. We were like together for like three or four days Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. had to be with him. It was disgusting. People are still doing this though. Do you know how many girls go on dates and just because the man pays for dinner or pays for the movie, they feel like they have to have sex with them. Yeah. I mean, it comes from a deep sense of, you know, just feeling unworthy and insecurity. And it seems like from all of the different boyfriends that you're mentioning that you were sort of even having like this like romantic fantasy of like Mm -hmm. love. Yeah. I mean, my whole purpose for dating was to find my husband. My mom and my stepfather used to always say, you know, when are you going to get married? When are you going to find someone? And, um, you know, just the opposite of what most parents would do. Right. They wouldn't kick their kid out at 18. Right. (laughs) They wouldn't be like, as a teenager, are you going to marry him? When are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? So I felt as time went on Mm. that I wasn't worthy to have a husband. And so every time I went on a date, mm-hmm. it was in hopes to find my husband. And one time um, I drove like three or four, three or four hours away and met a guy. And um, it was really weird. We went out um, to party or whatever at a, at a nightclub and I got really, really sick. Mm-hmm. And we ended up being together sexually, but I didn't remember it for several days. And I, I believe that he roofied me because after when I started remembering, the the memories were so like fragmented. It was really strange, but mm-hmm. I, I know that he put something in my drink. And then he wanted me to come back for another date. Wow. Yeah, so I was in a very dangerous situation. Yeah. And at this point, everything about like love and sex was all mixed up and and I didn't know the difference between the two sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I felt like if I if I had sex with them, they would stay. Yes. Um, it was just a really confusing time for me. But that also led me, um, kind of got me prepared to go into the adult industry. Mm-hmm. Um, also found modeling websites and there was... Um, all these models that didn't look like models. They look just like girl next door. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like in bathing suits and, and posing and people are paying them to, to do this. Men too. 
um, fitness guys and stuff like that. So I was like, wondered if, if I could do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, this was after, after a, um, relationship where I was engaged, this, ha- this happened after that relationship. Um, I broke up with him. That's when I got my implants. Okay. So that kind of gave me the courage to kind of wonder if I could do, if I could do this modeling thing and maybe I could just wear bikinis and stuff. You got like breast implants? Yes. Okay. Breast implants. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, yeah, like, no, it's different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get implants anywhere. Yes. <laughs> so I had somebody take photos of me and, um, and I put them on, put them out there for, to see if, um, if I could get hired as a model. Mm-hmm. And so I got, immediately I got um, requested to do modeling. People wanted to hire me, but most of them were for porn. Mm. And um, I did a couple of like bathing suit shoots and then I replaced the photos with professional photos and still getting porn requests. And at the time I hated porn. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to be in that. But as I was online dating, I met some guy. I met a lot of guys. <laughs> but this one in particular, I fell for him hard and fast and we broke up and I was bored at my job. And this photographer came along and he said he shoots for Playboy. Mm. And I knew that was like the prettiest girls were in Playboy. So he asked me if I wanted to shoot with him. And I, I said no at first, but then after the breakup and everything, I changed my mind and I was like, okay, I'll do it because nobody cared about me. I felt like Men didn't care about me. My parents didn't care about me. So why not do this? And it was supposed to just be Playboy style. Mm. So it's not like hardcore porn, but Mm -hmm. it's like nudity. I did modeling as well. And I remember these websites. And sometimes the photographers would say things like, it's going to be implied, right? They'll use these words to make it sound like it's it's not going to be explicit, right? right? Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't supposed to be super explicit. It was just supposed to be me um, clothed and then nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Um, But the second day that we shot, he talked me into doing more. So I did not Playboy style, but a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. And then um, I remember him sending me the photos. It was kind of weird because I've never seen myself, my body like that. Mm-hmm. And there was a part of me that regretted it. Like, why did I do that? Like, this is how, <laughs> it was just weird seeing my body in these different poses and stuff like that. But after that shoot, um, I put, some of the sexier pictures up. Mm-hmm. And then I got an email from a company who shoots girls. And I saw the style that they were shooting in. And they were shooting in mansions and these big staircases, like on both sides that go up and mm-hmm. and marble floors and everything. It was beautiful. And so they asked me to shoot and they were going to pay me a lot of money. I think it was around like $2,000. And... um they were going to fly me to LA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, and they're going to shoot me like that. And they're going to dress me up and they're going to do my hair and they're going to do my makeup. It's like, I, I was, made it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, wow. And now I kind of am one of those girls mm-hmm. now. But it was like kind of unbelievable. But it was, it was like the glamour that kind of led me into it. And um, my first shoot... They shot me in so many different 
rooms and the outside in the hot tub and on the stairs everywhere. And they dressed me up and they made me look beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so those pictures were shown to a, a model manager. And so the second day that I shot with them, they um, he came out to meet me and he wanted to represent me. And I said, okay. And that's how it kind of got started. So... During that time, it was just one of those things where it was like you're slowly getting more and more comfortable mm-hmm. doing these things. But still, those things are pictures, right? And you came from an environment where your father was was drinking and you were experiencing... You had a stepfather, right? Yes. A stepfather. Was he the one that was drinking? Was that your biological My father? My biological. Your biological father. And then you saw your mother and your stepfather and your in a position where you're feeling like no one really cares about you. No one really loves me. They want me out of the house so that they can have their life. And, you know, I'm, was in a relationship, but now I'm free and I'm going to show the world like who I really am and how beautiful I am. Right. And so you started getting comfortable and more confident because like you said, they're paying you, flying you, dressing you up. They're giving you all the attention that you've never had before. But that's still different going from that to actually having sex, actually being filmed, having Mm -hmm. sex. So how were you able to mentally bring yourself to a place where you were comfortable doing that on camera? Well, first off, it started off slow where I was by myself for a long time. Okay. Then they work you into working with women. Mm. And after that, they push you to work with men. I see. Um, And I guess as far as working with men go, I worked with my boyfriend only. And that was for three and a half years. Okay. And so the him being my boyfriend kind of made me feel like it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. But it, it was still bad. Did you meet him on set? And then they said, uh, no. Okay. So no. this was someone you just met and you just so happened to start yeah. doing porn. Was he the one that got you Involved? On the online dating. Okay. I met him. Actually, I met his friend at a restaurant. He got me drunk off one drink, and then he took me to the, my, you know, the guy who became my boyfriend's house. Mm-hmm. He was in bed with another girl. He, this is a really, like, crazy story, but his friend took me into a room and started ha- having sex with me. His friend? The one that got you drunk? Yeah. Okay. And then the other guy came in with the camera and they started re- recording me and they oh. were taking turns. And um, I was devastated by that mm-hmm. big time. And I told my ex-boyfriend who was a pornographer who, who was running my website and he just said, well, do you think he could, you know, do a movie with you? And I'm like, I felt like I just got raped twice because I was, I froze for one and I was drunk. And so I was like, I just cried. I was just like, forget it. Mm-hmm. Never mind. And then I ended up being with the guy for three and a half years. So how does a person who's watching this, mm-hmm. they hear your story about, you know, feeling like, you know, you're being taken advantage of, but then you end up with the same person mm-hmm. that you felt was taking advantage of you. Like how, yeah. how does that happen? And how does a person stop themselves from allowing that to happen. Yeah, I mean, I was in a bad place and this guy made me feel special and he had a he had an accent from from like Iowa and it was 
it was he was just charming, was charming. Yeah. super charming, mm-hmm. very handsome. And I was alone. I didn't have any any support at all from anybody in my life. But he kind of turned on the charm and I felt like there were times when I felt like he wasn't the same, like he, like he changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but we moved from Florida to um, San Diego. Okay. Um, that's how I, and after that, I ended up coming to Las Vegas, then LA. Okay. Um, but he was abusive, mm-hmm. physically abusive. He kept all the money. He spent all the money that I made. He he ran my whole business, basically. He said who I could shoot with, who I couldn't shoot with. He was into selling like um, articles of clothing and stuff like that. He did all of that. I wasn't even doing that stuff. Um, so he took it to another level. Mm-hmm. And then he also made it where he would work with me. I see. So that's how I got into to working with men. I see. Was through, through that. Story. And were you, at some point, did you feel comfortable? No. You never felt comfortable? No. Did you have to I do anything? I did not anything? like working with him. Okay. With him specifically. Yeah. Did you have to do things to get yourself to perform, like in terms of drinking and drugs? Because I think a lot of people don't realize that women who are in the adult and entertainment industry, a lot of times have to do things yeah. like do heavy drugs and mm-hmm. drink heavily in order to get themselves to even yeah. perform. I've seen I've seen that in um, different shoots that I've been at. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, I would dissociate. Mm-hmm. So I would be doing the pretty girl. They call it pretty girl when you're doing the photos. Okay. And you're just, you're all dressed up and it's glamorous. Mm-hmm. And then you do your pretty girl photos. And then you go into the, into the photos with the man. And then then at that point, it was still kind of glamorous, but get, kind of getting me where I was a little bit more uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then you do the sex scene after that. And then the sex scene is where I felt most uncomfortable. In terms of the porn industry, mm-hmm. how is it different from what it looks like on the outside for the girls that are involved in this? Yeah, so... What it looks like on the inside is for me, okay, so my situation is different than today. Okay. Today, porn has gotten hardcore. Mm-hmm. It's gotten vile and disgusting. It, they want the girls to do so much more than when I was in it. When I was in it, they were shooting in mansions. They mm-hmm. don't do that anymore. Um, so personally, I didn't have to do drugs because I would dissociate and... When we would start taking clothes off, that's when I would pretend like I was like, it was like I I was like above myself looking down and I was doing a performance. Okay. So I was seeing myself as, as like from above. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I, that's how I did it. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was like an outer body experience. Mm-hmm. And then I would, you know, get th- through the scene and. I guess I did a good job because I I got, you know, more and more work and I had an abundance of jobs I could do. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times I wouldn't, would turn a lot of stuff down because I had a lot of downtime. Um, I'm an introvert, so I can only go so far until I'm like, I got to 
take a break. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen nowadays. These mm -hmm. girls work every day of the week. It's crazy. But even when I was shooting the glamorous stuff, I've seen girls do cocaine and drink and stuff like that before the shoot. Mm -hmm. And now when you were in those situations where you were meeting other girls, did you find that a lot of the girls that were in the industry were doing it because they genuinely enjoyed it? Or did you find that a lot of them had very broken backgrounds? Yeah. And, yeah. A lot of them were broken. Yeah. I mean, I can think of like two or three women I knew that did cocaine every time they, they did a shoot. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. Like the hard kind of shoot. It was not hardcore. Right. It would be very soft. So um, I can't even imagine today what it's like. Well, things it's, just continue to escalate in yeah. terms of... I know one of the biggest um, porn stars to uh, this time, even probably today, quit the industry. Um, and she said that she thinks it should be a crime. Um, the porn industry should, should be, be a crime. A, oh, yeah. 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 There's a lot that people don't realize um, happens in terms of even trafficking and just just the mental abuse and the physical abuse yeah. that goes into it with these yeah. with these young ladies. So you were doing porn for about, what, three years, you said? No, seven years. Seven years. That's I, a long time. Yeah. Three and a half years was with a boyfriend. Okay. But the rest of it was either by myself or like girl, girl stuff. Mm -hmm. Cause they make you believe that that's softer and that's better. I see. So, but even that is like such a performance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's easy to fake that one more than the other. Right. So mostly I'd like to be by myself mm -hmm. personally. Cause I'm not into that really. Mm -hmm. None of the girls are. I Just believe so you it. guys know. <laughs> girls aren't really into it for the most part. It's just a performance. And um, where did the change take place from doing porn for seven years? That's enough time for you to get fully comfortable, mm -hmm. good money, great exposure, feeling good about yourself. Why did you stop? Well, even, even another thing on top of that is I had a website that made a lot of, a lot of money. Okay. Um, I made my, my take home was 15,000 a month. And there are uh, like 100 different people with their hands, you know, in part has part of the money. Didn't make sense, but they get a part of the pie. <laughs> okay, how much did you say a month? 15,000. $15,000. Even not working, wow. even not doing any shoots. I would because I didn't have to. Wow. Cuz I built my own empire. I see how that could be attractive to someone, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of money. So I didn't have to work and I'm making a recurring income because these guys put it on their credit card and then they don't know what is the charges for because it it's disguised. Mm. It doesn't say Chrissy Outlaw or Chris, you know, mm -hmm. porn, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't say anything about porn. So they forget about it and I keep making money. So I didn't shoot a lot, really, um, especially when the website picked up. I only shot for my website every now and then. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's kind of a trap. You're making money. How are you going to get out? Right. Um, like you're used to a certain way of life, a place to live, a certain kind of car, certain hair extensions and nails and tanning and all that stuff that's glamorous. Mm -hmm. and, so, and the attention. Yeah, and the attention. And the feeling for me, it was like a false sense of love. Mm -hmm. I wasn't getting it anywhere else, but 
I had fans that cared about me and would email me and be like, you know, my wife doesn't do this and, mm. you know, or, or I'm such a big fan. Like they would just go on and on about how they're my best fan. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so it was a false sense of love. And that kept me going for that long, seven mm-hmm. years. That's, that's what did it, you know, and my own insecurities and stuff like that. But getting out was was like a moment that um it was just a, a quick moment that a um, realization that I had mm-hmm. I was dating somebody and he was working on a film a mainstream film um not a porn film okay. so I went um so one night he called me now you had to remember this I wasn't working with men at this time okay. he called me from strip club and we didn't do that we weren't like that and I was very jealous. And even though I did porn, I somehow justified that, you know, it was not right for him to be there because I wasn't working with men. I wasn't doing anything with with men, yet he's at a club looking at women, Mm -hmm. lusting after women. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, before he even left, I said, please don't go to a strip club. I don't know how I predicted that would happen. (laughs) But he, he lied about it. Um, and then he told me the next day that he did. Wow. So it's like, even though you're in this industry where you're this like glamorous porn star, he's still going to the strip club. I'm the fantasy. You're the fantasy. And he still wants to go to the strip club. Yes. He still wants something more. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I flew out to where they were shooting and, you know, I met the, I met some people on the set and, um, one of the persons, people on the set who went to the club were like, why do you even care? Like, I have, my, I have like three or four kids and my wife doesn't care. Like, sometimes a man wants to see big boobs. Sometimes he wants to see little. Sometimes they want a brunette. Sometimes they want a blonde. Like, mm-hmm. this is what's normal. And it kind of was like what I kind of believed all throughout, you know, my life. Like, you know, I can never be enough. So... The next day, I had a guy that um, I was sitting by and he said, he was like, you know, I just met him. My boyfriend was shooting, so he wasn't around. And he said, "Um, um, what kind of work do you do? And I was like, "Uh, modeling. Like, what kind of modeling? And I said, oh, just like calendars and car, like with cars and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he asked me another question. He didn't believe me. And so he asked me another question. I said, okay, I, I do porn. And he was like, well, do you know that you don't have to do that? Like, do you know about Jesus? And I was like, the, after I found out my boyfriend had gone to the club, I had been praying for the first time since I was a child wow. that God would send me a sign. Mm. So he asked me if I knew Jesus and I knew. That was God. Wow. Yeah. I'm trying not to cry. It's okay. It's okay to cry. It's the power of God is just so wonderful. It's like I was, as a little girl, I believed in Jesus. Um, and then he was there for so long. He was there. That's the yeah. thing. He was always there. He, wa- he was. It didn't feel, feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I talked to this guy and I was like, yeah, I do. And he's like, do you want a new life? You can change your life. And I was like, yeah, I do. And he's like, um, 
I'm going to go ask your boyfriend if I can go outside and pray with you. Oh, wow. And so my boyfriend looked at me and gave me this weird look, and he, but he gave him permission because he was kind of a passive boyfriend in a way towards other men. He was kind of passive. Okay. So we went outside and we did the old-fashioned prayer, like Jesus is coming into your heart and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, very simple. I cried. And um, that night, um, after my boyfriend had been shooting, came back to the hotel room. I said, I can't sleep in the bed with you. He was like, what? He had no idea what really happened. Mm-hmm. I said, I can't sleep in the bed with you anymore. Like we have to break up. And um, I had already emailed my manager and t- told him I was taking a break, but it was like a permanent break. So the way I broke free, that's what led to it. And then I just quit. And then I, I ended up moving out of the boyfriend's house, finding an apartment by myself for the first time. Wow. <laughs> and um, just going from there into going to church every time it's open. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of healing that happened after that. But it was, I broke free totally. Like I didn't take any more money from my website even though I could continue taking it for years, mm-hmm. even though I was out of it, I still could make, take the money. That's true. But you know what? God told me, he said, um, don't take the money. I'm going to show you that I'm your father and I'm going to take care of you. And he did. And it was crazy. People, somebody donated me a car. People wow. were donating for my rent. Um, it was like he came through. So like, it was crazy. It was crazy. It, and it made me, made my faith so strong. And it, it was like the love of a father I didn't have. So he definitely proved himself. And I never doubted after that. I always just knew. He saved you in such a powerful way. The fact that once you truly gave your life over to him, genuinely, all of it, yeah. he came in immediately and gave you that that power, that fire to say like, I'm done with all of this immediately. Immediately. And that is so powerful because (laughs) you were in it deep and you didn't know how you were going to get out, but that's what the Lord does. And then that's when the healing starts because once you get saved, you still have all the memories, you still have all the different things that have happened after having so much trauma too, right? Yeah. Um, and even like you were saying, dissociating yourself from what you were doing a lot of times can lead to things like mental illnesses mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those things do need to be saved as well, your soul. Yeah. There was a lot of PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out later that I had bipolar, mm-hmm. bipolar one. Okay. Um, and that was years later. It, it um, had progressed. Mm-hmm. And so the PTSD, it kind of kind of looked like it in a way. I had anxiety, panic attacks, things like that. And starting to date again and, and trying to figure that out. Like, right. why, like, why won't this guy come over to my house? <laughs> why do I have to go bowling with his friends? Like, I didn't get that. <laughs> that was super confusing to me. Mm-hmm. Like, why do we have to do it in a group? Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to cuddle. Right, right. Um, so I had to relearn a lot of the behaviors I had when I was dating. Mm-hmm. So what is your relationship with God like now? 
Um, after going through all of this and being where you are? Yeah, it's it's a lot different. My life is a lot different. I left the industry in 2006. I got married in um, t- 2012. Oh, that's um, amazing. Yeah, and to a good Christian man who just loves me, trusts me, believes in me, pushes me to be the best I can. And it's a, it's a whole different... Like I try, I, I travel without him because mm-hmm. I trust him. Mm-hmm. And, and he trusts you. Yeah. And he trusts me. And it took a couple of years of to, to like believe it. Mm-hmm. But there's no doubt in my mind that he's not going to cheat on me. He's not going to do anything. He's not going to leave me. He's not, he's not trying to do things behind my back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, uh, you know, a real healing moment, you know, healing time actually um, learning that I could trust a man yes, and that, you know, and, you know, everything sexually changed. It was more, um, instead of somebody taking from me, it was more somebody giving to me and loving me. And, um, some of the behaviors that I had that were unhealthy and I didn't know mm-hmm. it changed just Things did, like that didn't happen anymore. Some of the per- perversion that was in my life just mm-hmm. stopped. That's what Jesus does. That's what having Jesus in your life does. It changes everything for you. And yeah. it saves you, literally saves you from the life that you once had and just transforms slowly to process all the things that you've experienced and you're a new, a new creation. Yeah. What would you say to a young woman who is in the porn industry right now, who is considering porn or who now they have things like OnlyFans and all these websites where it's like, oh, it's just me. It's my terms. No one's controlling me. It's my body, right? They feel more empowered. But a lot of the women have gone through similar stories as mine. Exactly. The reason I know that is because I've run support groups before and Mm -hmm. I've helped women. Mm -hmm. I've mentored women who've come out of that industry, even the softest kind of porn, you know, and most of them have been sexually abused. Yes. And I would just, I guess I would just say to them that they're, they're worthy of more and that they're more than what they are sexually. They, they have more value they can break free just like I did. Just have faith in, in God and He can change your whole life. So He did for me. <laughs> and I just want to add to that by saying that no matter what you've been through, whether it's abuse that someone has inflicted on you, whether it's something that you feel like you're still doing to your body because of the memories that you've experienced, all the shame that you feel inside, all of that, can be taken away from you through a relationship with God. And the healing can happen. You know, just watching this right now, you know, the Lord is healing you internally. He's healing your heart. He's healing your mind. And this is something that is available to you. If you're willing to give your life over to God and allow Him to do with it what He planned when He created you. Because we're all here for a purpose. Yeah. We're all here for a purpose. And I'm just so grateful, Chrissy, that you were willing to share your story and how you've experienced so many trials, but God has brought you out to be able to (laughs) share with the world how good He is and how wonderful your life is now that you're on the other side. Yeah, it's 
it's crazy, but everything's just totally different and I'm happy and content with life. Wonderful. Now, where can they find you if they want to follow you or just hear a little bit more about your life or well, reach out to you? Yeah. Um, I have a website. It's um, chrissyoutlaw.com. And then I'm on Instagram as Chrissy Outlaw. And it's C-R-I-S-S-Y, Outlaw. I don't know how I got such a cool last name. I was wondering if that was your <laughs> real last name. It is such a cool last name. Yeah, it sounds like it would be a stage name, but it's not. It's my married name. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye.